Jake, congratulations on not having salmonella. Thank you so much. I did that on purpose. I only have myself to blame. Ah! Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even. That one wasn't. That one's on me. Um. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Oh, what the heck? Um. Ow! I'm not even sure how that's happening. Turn it down. It's it's like a bat. All right. So, here we go. Thank you for tu- thank you for tuning thank in. Thank you, Bobby. Guys. Um, it is Thursday night, which means it is time for Pop and Schlock Live. Uh, we have gotten past the technical difficulties aspect of the show, so we are good and ready to get rolling. Uh, I am your host, Jay Goodson Dodd, also known as Jake for brevity's sake. With me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Nudo. Say hi, Meredith. Hi, Meredith. And that never gets old. No, uh, never. My uh, my wife is in the studio with me. Say hi, hi Tori. Um, hi. <laughs> she uh, she's here for moral support. Um, we, Speaking of moral support, we would also like to extend a hearty congratulations to two of our previous guests, Patrick Simmons and Dustin Blanton. They actually have a show here on KPFT Channel HD Two now. For those of you who are fans of sports and comedy, check them out Saturday mornings here on KPFT Channel HD Two uh, at eight a.m. And listen to them talk comedy about sports, but not comedy sports, which is a trademarked thing. All right. And with us Skyping in is uh, our very special guest. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Woo-hoo! All right. Technical difficulties over with. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so for uh, our loyal listeners listening at home, uh, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Alan Cerny. I write for ComingSoon.net, and I have a podcast that I do with a friend of mine named Craig Price called Matinee Heroes, yeah. which we talk about heroic cinema and uh, how we can apply these movies that we love to our everyday lives. Yeah, Craig was on our Mission Impossible 5. Yeah. How many Mission Impossible movies he was, are he was on the fo- He was on the Fallout episode. He was on the Fallout, yeah. So it's it's great it's great to have you uh, on the show, Alan. Um, especially because, uh, as Meredith has been so happy to point out, you uh, got a pull quote in the trailer for this one. Uh, so which is I, awesome. So I feel like that's a uh, I, I feel like that's a good place to kind of jump in. I'm so proud of you. I did not expect that. I uh, you know. You know, it's funny, you know, when you talk about movie critics and, you know, they say never write towards the quote. I kind of like to write towards the quote. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, it, it's cool when you see that stuff happens. That's kind of fun. Yeah, especially uh, especially if it's something where you go in and you take a look at the film and you actually walk out going, you know what? I really did enjoy that thing. Um, yeah. So you can have your name tied to it, at least in that way. And, and you have it in a second movie because I, I went and saw... Um I don't know. I've seen so many movies this year now, but I I saw. Oh, it was before Searching. Uh, right. Two two movie trailers in a row had your quotes in it, and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! I need to tell Alan." And as soon as I got on Twitter, I tagged the wrong Alan Cerny, <laughs> which makes me so mad. That is that is uh, the most Meredith way to do anything, uh, <laughs> and th- I so I just got I kind of want to jump in on this because. Uh, 
I legitimately, I, I walked in not expecting to enjoy this nearly as much as I did. Um, I went in with kind of, I, I don't want to say lowered expectations, but I don't even know really what I was expecting and uh, what I got. It wasn't the Spanish Inquisition, obviously. <laughs> Thank you for validating me, Alan. <laughs> High five from across the city. Oh, man. So, so yeah, um, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't ex- expecting it to be this good. Oh, I loved it. I, I, yeah, and, you know, I loved I'm, it. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Meredith has been gushing about this film for... She, she saw it uh, a few days before I did, and so she's just been, Have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yep. yet? Oh, it was so... And, Every day since I've seen it. And I and I've I've got to uh, I've got to say I really really did enjoy <sighs> this movie, um, and for for the few people who looked at the trailer and thought that's not something that I want to see, you're probably wrong, uh, <laughs> because, because I. I, I will admit, I, I went in with, I, I don't want to say lowered expectations, but I really wasn't expecting a whole lot. And then there was just so much here that just it, it, it brought me in and got me completely on board. I will say that I wish that they had advertised it as either a straightforward war movie with a bit of a thriller element to it versus, oh, by the way, Nazi zombies. Yeah. I, I wish kind of they... The the feel I got from it is that I, I it really reminded me of those days of the video store uh, where <laughs> you would go down the racks and you're looking for something you, you you don't even know what you're looking for you just want to find something that's going to be entertaining I mean it's and and uh, you're not going to grab the new release stuff off the rack you just want to see what the coolest cover looks like and I imagine the cover for the VHS of Overlord would just have these mon- gnarly monsters in, zo- in, in Nazi uniforms being shot at by a whole cadre of soldiers. And anybody picking that up off the rack would say, I'm going to watch a solid, crazy action movie tonight. And I think that that's what it delivers. Uh, it really feels like that. It feels like I, a... I 100, I 100% agree I 100% there. agree, except for back in those days, that was accidentally how I saw Hentai. <laughs> so i mean i miss those days except for that part oh well like for me what i as i was watching it unfold the whole thing that i the thing that i pictured in my mind was uh not necessarily the vhs covers but um the the pulpy war comics of years gone by yeah. um that, that it, it felt like when it felt like you know the stuff like you know haunted tank and mm-hmm. things like that 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 genre mashup and it's it's one of those things where films like this where you get a true genre mashup where you get a war movie mixed with a horror film you don't see a, you don't see that pulled off as perfectly as it was done here that often um, if there's if there's one complaint that I have it's that and Meredith disagree Meredith I'm sorry I was just thinking about how great this movie was I mean it's I mean it's excellent it really is and uh there's there's a whole lot that we we can unpack over the course of the show but the the one thing that that kind of did hit me and this is where me and Meredith kind of disagree is that I felt like um it was a it was such an effective in that first uh in in the first almost two acts where we got none of the genre ma- mashup where it was played almost completely straight as a World War II film it got right. to the point where when the horror element was introduced i really wanted to see the conclusion to that played straight World War II film because it was done so well and it felt 
unlike uh, the World War II films that we've gotten in the wake of, like, Saving Private Ryan, because everything has gone in that direction, and this felt like something that was more of a throwback to, um, you know, the, the World War II films that predated that Spielberg reinvention of, like, oh, we've got to shoot everything through a shaky cam lens of the D-Day invasion. Um, right. So I, I loved the... I loved the action direction of the World War II element, and that's not to say that I didn't love the horror element oh, that because I did. That opening scene was so beautifully done. But yeah, I mean the uh, the, the the opening in the uh, in the in the aircraft as they are blown out of the sky. Um, it was it was handled so well and shot so effectively, and then everything with uh, the tension leading up to them going into the French village and well, hiding I... in the attics. It, it was it was so well directed, and it was so unlike what I'm used to seeing in seeing film portray World War II as lately. Well, I also appreciated that it was a war movie that did not glamorize war. Oh no, they they made it, and that's it, it was as as grotesque and violent as it really is in real. Not not that I've well, fought in a war, but I've talked to veterans. Well, I, I'm one of the friends things, with a lot of them, and I've heard their stories. And it's well, it, one of the things that I've talked to certain people who were you, you know really into analyzing film is uh, we've talked about the danger of using Nazis as villains, as stock villains, um, because too often they're portrayed almost as comic villains. It's like, oh look how pathetic these people are. When, well, that's, when, that's when a lot in of reality, remnants. That's a lot. That's remnants of Mel Brooks, though. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's hugely Mel Brooks's influence because Mel Brooks, for our not not film history fan friends, did actually fight in World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, a Jewish man who, when he came back from the front lines, started making Hitler a comedic figure because he wanted to rob the people who. I mean, he wanted to rob the people who killed his his friends and family and his fellow Jews. Uh, so that no one would ever take him or his horrendous genocidal views seriously. Now, right. unfortunately, um, we've been proven and very wrong. But I, I, I will not fault Mel Brooks for that no, because I don't, I don't, I don't fault the 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 thought behind it. But I will say that that has that I think that there's the roots of of using them as kind of cartoonishy villains. You can kind of point to that in film yeah, at least, and and. I, I appreciated that in this film we saw the the true horror, and you know not to not to lean on that too hard, but the true horror of what the Nazis were. And there's there was also, and this is something that's been discussed at length is, um, it's it's like going back to the um, the 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 are we the baddies sketch, yeah. you know? It's like um, the, they've been almost. There's a sort of a tendency on the part of uh, filmmakers, comic books, media in general to almost fetishize the the aesthetic of of Nazi Germany, of the of the of the SS, of like you know the it's skull and crossbones, skull and crossbones on a leather trench coat. Like it's that there's they have fetishized that imagery of making them imposing to a degree that it's like you forget the the horror and the terror of what they're doing because the the image is so cool, and yeah. so to portray them in this film as just inhuman monsters that were, you know, just killing innocent people left and right without uh, a shred of empathy or mercy, it it compounded the inhuman monstrosity of what they were doing what? with the with the evil science stuff. It, there's there's a lot of cross section there that I think a lesser film wouldn't have handled as well. Yeah. I I I I like in the movie how, I mean, First off, when they go into the church and you see all the the, the, the machinery, and it's like it doesn't look like there's a single table you can eat off of. It's just gross. No, yeah, 
<laughs> and uh, uh, I, if there's one thing I could take out of the movie, it's like um, I, I'm really curious because I'm I don't know a whole lot about the making of it. I don't know when they shot it, but it, it had to have been a fairly recent shoot. So I'm sure all the discussions of Nazism uh, that's coming on today is probably entered into the into the movie somehow. Uh, if, if there's one thing I would have taken out of it, I think you might have mentioned this on, online, Meredith. I think it's the the part where we uh, we see. Or it may have been another uh, uh, critic I was reading. The part where we see the the Nazi uh, commandant kind of uh, get a little rapey. Uh, yeah, I don't. We didn't need that. That was because, you didn't. It wasn't me saying it, but it's something that I would agree with. Well, yeah, uh, it, he's 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 bad enough. I mean, we know he's a Nazi. You know, he's, I mean, it, the, the vocabulary of the film is he's a bad guy. We know that he didn't have to actually prove that. And I and I definitely I agree with you there because I hate the idea of using. Uh, you know, rape is a trope to generate yeah. uh, to, to generate heat on a character. Basically, the mm-hmm. only reason that I that I advocate for it is coming from a uh, coming from a writing perspective. Um, there had to be something that uh, crossed a line, but didn't cross so much of a line that because uh, it had to spur Boyce to action. It had to be something that was so horrendous that it would get him out of that attic and put like that. It had to generate conflict. So the yeah. only way that if I if I'm writing that scene. He's got to be hurting or in some way inflicting some sort of a monstrous act on uh, on Chloe in order to get Boyce out of that attic. Um, yeah. So it's it feels a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation there. Because as, as a writer, I understand why it's used. It's also, as somebody who hates to see that trope used, I wish we could have gotten something Couldn't else. could just be any kind of violence? Like, why did it have to be sexual violence? That's true. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was, a, like, there was a little kid down there. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying, you know, go after the kid or anything. I'm just saying that there, there are a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can twirl that mustache on the yeah. on the yeah, back guy. Even, so uh, you know they, they could have figured something out that way. But I mean, that to me is like the one drawback of the film. Well, even the I, old the old having him pick up a puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it, I know that that would be kind of cartoonish, but at the same time, it still establishes him as a threat, someone that doesn't care about life, and it's also basically a super well done pulpy genre. I love the word pulpy, pulpy yeah. genre movie, and it would fit. Like there's yeah. there's things like like stock characters that I'm always going to be more okay with in a movie like this than I would in one that's supposed to be a lot more thoughtful or, or yeah. more meditative. Because in this archetypes work. And ulti- yeah. and ultimately this is this is pure this is pure pulpy nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's just really well done pulpy nonsense. Oh, and yeah. th- let me tell you that the practical effects make all the difference. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, it's a really gorgeous looking film. Uh, I, I got really excited uh, when, I mean, they announced about a week ago or so that the director of Overlord is going to direct Flash Gordon. Ooh. And, yeah, and so I, 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 that's going to play out. I wanted I wanted to bring that up because uh, one of one of our uh, one of our friends Greg uh, was talking about this on Facebook that uh, Helen knows Greg yeah he Greg was, Clark he was looking uh, he he said he was looking forward to uh, fanboys uh, throwing uh, the director of this film into every open slot for every genre film to come for the next fifteen years um, <laughs> and. His his take on it was a little bit more uh, derogatory than mine because yeah. uh, he he felt like it, the film was a little bit paint by numbers I guess uh, and uh, and more pedestrian and generic than exceptional. But I feel like whenever you are taking something that's in the pulp or genre fiction bandwagon, it's incredibly hard to do that well and have it not come off as almost embarrassing because. You know- 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, whenever you whenever you see pulp, uh, it's almost it's easy to dismiss because it is pulp. Um, it doesn't. That's have, literally why it's called pulp. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's easy to it's easy to dismiss. It gets tossed to the side. But this was so well done on so many levels, from the effects to the direction. I, I felt like the uh, the ra- the ratcheting up of tension in mm-hmm. this film, it, not even related to the horror elements, but just the ratcheting up of tension through the just the use of uh, subtle direction, uh, music cues, um, the acting on the part of uh, the cast. All of it was so well done that I can't be dismissive of anything in this film. I really can't. When a movie calls its shots and then hits the mark that it's aiming for, and it's aiming for pulp, it's aiming to be entertaining, it's it's aiming to you know give you action and thrills and, and scares, and, and, and it hits those marks. You, that's admirable. I, I, you know, it doesn't have the more lofty goal than to you know give you a really fun ride for for two hours and it and, it, and for the most part it, it does it and to me that's great I mean not every movie has to be the grandeur thing it has to I mean some movies you just want to sit down and watch Nazis get the shit shot out of them sorry see <laughs> Nazis get punched and and I have to two things that I I love about this movie first off I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it but the main character of the film, played boys by by uh, Jovan Depo. Uh, I want to see more of that guy. I want to see more of that character. Uh, I, I have no problems with a series of movies called Boys Mon- Nazi Monster Hunter. <laughs> well, and yeah. he, he was he was really effect he was really so effective in this role. And you know, I, I haven't seen anything that he's been in prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I jokingly, whenever I saw the trailer, because I you know this is a it's a J.J. Abrams thing. Uh, my first thought was that uh, apparently John Boyega was uh, too busy to do you know the the pulpy nonsense. But honestly, he uh, it's. I've said for a while that J.J. Abrams is really, really good at the casting element of the mm-hmm. films that he produces. Um, yeah. He is one of he's one, he has the best handle on casting of just about anybody working in Hollywood right now. And this cast was amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, Wyatt Russell. Uh, I love. Oh, he, he was. I want him to be in everything from now on. Which makes yeah. sense because I want Kurt Russell to be in everything. And it's it's. Yeah, so. I was so surprised because whenever I think of second generation actors, whenever I look at somebody like uh, the example that I come to most often is like Scott Eastwood, um, mm-hmm. who looks exactly like his father, but who oftentimes has the charisma of a wet fence board. <laughs> oh um, yeah. I totally agree with that. And uh, and, it's, and it's it's funny because the the um a good example is in uh the Fast and the Furious franchise whenever you put him up against oddly enough Kurt Russell and they were yeah. playing off of each other just the the level of charismatic cool that still oozes off of Kurt Russell is astounding and Scott Eastwood got none of that but why but Wyatt Russell was uh impressive. He was um imposing and frightening and charismatic all the he, way through he was this. he was snake plissken to electric boogaloo oh he was yeah. yes he, and, he, he turned it into his own thing which yeah. i like i mean you could see the definitely see his father in that performance oh yeah oh yeah several times <laughs> oh yeah and uh and the the fellow who played uh the the main big bad the uh the nazi commandant um who yeah. also plays uh one of the uh one of the the main villains in the later season of Game of Thrones. Um, right. uh, one of the Greyjoys, I forget which one. Um, I think Euron. Euron, yeah, he plays Euron Greyjoy. Um, he was 
uh, fantastic as well. Although half the time I was sitting there going, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's just a clone of Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> I, I thought that John Magaro was basically a time displaced early 1960s Terry Jones. They did. They did look I, a lot alike. I was so distracted by that. I was like, at some point, you're going to slip up into Welsh, aren't you? <laughs> no, I, I, I legitimately loved everybody in this film. Acquitted themselves so mm-hmm. so wonderfully. Um, also, shout out to Rosenfeld living until the end. I yes. was, which was surprise yes. was so surprising to me because uh, I felt like there was going to be like a late third act turn because they pulled him off of that operating table. He had something injected into him. I thought for sure there was going to be a late third act turn. So there was a subversion of expectation there. Again, talking about how they expertly built up tension. Well, that see, is such a good example. It wasn't the serum that was in it. He was like a filter for whatever they were making the serum out of. So he was going to be one of the people in the bags, not one of the test subjects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to say, um, I, I love that one of the things I was talking about, I, I, I got to interview the cast of Fantastic Fest this year, and one nice. of the things I was really fascinated by, and I don't know if this is something that's that's just, I'm just, if I'm aware of it or if it's happening, but J.J. Abrams is sort of turning into the Rod Serling of genre film, uh, where he, he's getting, well, he's letting all these, you know, young um, filmmakers Basically, I mean, everybody's talking about how is this connected to Cloverfield, and it's like, well, no, it's not. But what he's doing with Cloverfield and this and a lot of a few other films that are coming is that he's letting young filmmakers get to play with a not spectacular, huge budget, but a decent budget and to cut their teeth and see how talented they are as filmmakers. Like there's a lot of there's a few movies coming down. Um, I was looking at a list today. Uh, one of them was a time travel movie by uh, uh, an editor. Uh, there's there's another film uh, by one of the editors of the next Star Wars film uh, that looks like it's going to be interesting. It's like a, like about four or five more films coming down the pipe through Paramount and J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Company that he's producing these genre films. Some of them are crime Ooh. films. Yeah. Some of them are horror and action, and so there's a comedy coming. Uh, but he's He's playing with genre and he's letting young filmmakers take a bite out of it because I think it's because of his experience because he he was he wrote regarding Henry he was able to get this big uh, film made with Harrison Ford and it got his foot in the door and then after that you know the sky's the limit for him and I think he wants to have that opportunity to give that to other filmmakers which I think is really awesome oh yeah and Jake Jake and I loved Ten Cloverfield Lane and oh, we were I, some I will go to bat for all the Cloverfields well, includes including Cloverfield well, Paradise I was actually about to get to that is that we were some of the only people that, that had spoken very positively about Cloverfield Paradox and I give was... it to Chris O'Dowd arms up. but and we found a lot to love about about cloverfield paradox Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and uh piggybacking off of what alan said about uh jj abrams giving voices to new up-and-coming uh filmmakers he's also got the clout now that he can really do that and i've heard uh rumblings and rumors about how he's kind of trying to shop around uh a deal not just with paramount but uh other studios as well he's trying to get basically uh f- kind of free reign to build some sort of new 
I don't want to say empire, but it feels like the way that he has it described, it's basically multimedia experience that would give uh, free reign to different up-and-coming filmmakers. So do you think he'll pick up our, our pitch for Toilet Shark and then let us build Toilet Shark the ride? I really don't think that anybody with uh, two functioning brain cells to rub together would ever give any money to Toilet Shark. Lloyd Kaufman might. Don't, don't, don't be too sure about that. I have a friend of mine who made a movie called Ghost Shark 2. Which there is no Ghost Shark one, by the way. That's <laughs> and amazing. It, and it, and it, <laughs> my my wife, her eyes just went really wide, and is like, I feel like I've heard of Ghost Shark. Yes. You would think, but he made the sequel, and uh, it's 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 my my friend Andrew did it, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Well, uh, when we so, finish you know. when we finish Toilet Shark, uh, we might want to have you put us in touch with his people. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm playing the shark, <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about uh, about film about Overlord as a film and what it kind of means in today's kind of landscape. One of the things that Meredith brought up uh, whenever we were talking earlier today is that uh, the film, we obviously. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, this isn't a film that people go into looking for historical uh, accuracy because, um, I mean, come on. But she, out front, the uh, voice has no reason to be there. <laughs> they yeah, they were integrated. That, yet, yeah, so. that's that's what that's what she brought up is that at this point the American military had not uh, desegregated. The desegregation order didn't come until 1948. Yeah. So uh, you know that that's something that they decided this is not something we want to. We really need to pay uh, any close attention to. Uh, it's just we want to. We found an actor who's the best, the best person for the role, and we're just going to roll with it. And I, I don't disagree. It's just I, I also understand the criticism that comes from people that say that in doing so, you subtly whitewash history by not not whitewashing in the sense that you're casting white people in roles that should go to people of color, but whitewashing in the sense that you're. You know, sanitizing, that you're sanitizing yeah. history by saying there wouldn't have been racism at the time because everyone was integrated and got along. And they, they've had the same criticisms of Doctor Who as well. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I feel like there's still value in that particular argument. Well, the, I, I absolutely have no problem with the cast the way they did it. Oh, I the think cast was wonderful. But I, I'm, I think that it's a point well worth acknowledging and bringing up in this show as well. Yeah, I mean, historically, well, well, I mean, historically, I mean, this is a movie with Nazi monsters in it. So, right. I mean, we, we have to take that for the account. But, you know, I am of the uh, philosophy now. I understand how the, they want films to be historically accurate. And if you're going to make an historically accurate film and, you know, you this is based on a true story sort of thing, fine. I understand that. But I think that genre film is the most inviting of, of cinema, the kind of cinema where anybody gets to play. And I think that it's it's perfectly great for everybody to get to play in the in this in this sandbox. So and I, I was reading an, an interesting article. There was a study that showed, and I can't remember which university it came from off the top of my head, that horror is the only genre where actresses talk as much as actors. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise there's, me. There's uh, more gender parity in casting and horror than anywhere else. And, I, I, and that's part of the reason why I uh, I whenever I look at the idea of them ignoring the the cultural background between you know the, the army who had not yet desegregated i feel like that was them also trying to get out ahead of uh the complaints that the film would be kind of disparate in terms of representation because uh 
it would be a very, very white film otherwise, and it definitely, uh, I mean... Well, you would run into a Dunkirk situation where they completely didn't acknowledge anyone that fought. Right. That wasn't... So they, they left off the entire Indian battalion and right, everything like that. Right. So I would say that... that that criticism, while levied at Dunkirk, was very well warranted. Especially, not especially because, the especially because of- Dunkirk was such a uh, piece that was just like, let's adhere to historical accuracy in whatever way we possibly can. Yeah, but they and completely then- ignored that the Indian battalion was yeah. there and the yeah yeah. And and this is this is a film also that uh, I mean we it basically only has uh, one female speaking part. Um, so well, the aunt gurgled. <laughs> <laughs> she, she gurgled. She gurgled really well. She had one female speaking part and one female gurgling part. Yeah, she didn't even gurgle at the at the the other female, so it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. I know she she sounded like she sounded like my cat whenever we lock her in the bathroom and she's screaming to get out. It basically makes the same sort of yodeling gurgle. Um, and I got a real Evil Dead Two vibe from that that whole sequence. I oh, really, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. This well, this is a film that kind of wears its influences on its sleeve. Um, it, it's happily, it, joyously does. Yeah. It's it happily and joyously wears its love of John Carpenter on its sleeve as well. And I think, and and maybe you two will disagree with me. I think it's the closest that we've come to capturing the thing so far. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does feel like that. It there feels does feel like- very much like the thing. I mean, down to even casting Wyatt Russell is basically yeah, playing right. dad. Although uh, when it, I was really reticent to to ask him because it's like, well, which which part? Of, which I said, what movies inspired you for this part? And I didn't want to basically say which which movies of your dad inspired <laughs> part. You know, it's like I didn't want to go there. It's like how but, uh, how much of your dad's reel did you watch to prepare for this particular role? Uh, I think he probably just watched his dad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, really. I mean, really, he's probably watching him making eggs. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's much of a difference between a Kurt Russell character and actually Kurt Russell. (laughs) That's why I'm dying to see him play Santa Claus. I mean, what? I know. That's going to be that's going to be an interesting film, uh, (laughs) to say the least. Um, This is and like I said, the cast in this was phenomenal. I I, I envy that you were able to sit down and and pick their brains. Oh, yeah, that was probably a really rewarding experience. It was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed talking with them. I uh, I had a lot of fun talking to the, uh, Julius Avery, the director in particular. I, I think that he's a really smart guy. I, I think he's kind of, he. It, it seemed to me like he was a little overwhelmed with the situation that he was in. As it's a <laughs> big movie, uh, but I, I think that he's got a good head on his shoulders. Uh, and the cast is just really vigorous and and fun, and seemed to have a really good time making this movie. I mean, you get the standard stories about how oh we had boot camp for three weeks and you know learned how to you know, use a rifle and everything like that, but basically they were just basically playing war. I mean, it felt like to me like they were just playing down like when I was a kid. You know, we would play war down the street. It felt like that a lot in their performances, and they seemed to be having such a good time. Oh yeah, and weren't they? Scared. Weren't they kept in the dark that it wasn't a Cloverfield movie until the last minute? I, I didn't. I didn't really. I don't know if they were or not. I, I'm glad that they. That I, I. I guess there could have been a through line, and this sort of is. I mean, if you want to look at it, it it's a. It's a science run amuck kind of story, which is kind of the Cloverfield stuff that's going on throughout all those movies in a right. way. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, but there's no direct connotation, which I I, I appreciated that. I thought it was yeah. Like, let, let let let's let this stand on its own and and see what happens. Uh, but it, yeah, it's it's a film for me that I I wish I had seen when I was. I mean, I, I imagine uh, 
this is the kind of movie that if you're 13 or 14 years old and you have buddies over and you got a bunch of Cheetos and Dr. Pepper, you pop that movie in and you're going to have a good time. Oh, I mean, I'm in my 30s and I'm going to do that once it's out on (laughs) on video on demand. But I'm also a 13-year-old, 30-year-old, so I don't know if that's – I don't know if I'm a good gauge – Gauge for that, but no, it was. This is exactly the kind of movie, like you said. I um, I remember Blockbuster, uh, uh-huh. and going in there and and picking out whatever, whatever I could find. That's how I ended up um, terrified of Snowman. Was the cover of of Jack Frost, <laughs> both of them, both the Michael Keaton one and the uh, the serial killer Snowman one, but. And- you got to give the movie credit too. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it probably doesn't have the biggest budget, but it feels really big. Oh, and, it was yeah, and the, the, I think the practical effects helped with that. I could not imagine how the effects would have been different had it all been CGI. That that airdrop sequence in the front, it, you mm-hmm. instantly know the stakes of the movie, and it's pretty terrifying, even when it's dark and you you're, you don't see a whole lot what's going on, but you still see the. Just the randomness of war, and like, anybody could be gone at any moment. Right, and, and it and it really kind of sets the tone for the movie itself, where you never know what's going to happen. Nobody is safe. Any of the characters that you want to follow through in this movie, none of them are safe. And I, I like that about it. When you're saying that this feels like a John Carpenter movie, it absolutely does. Right. The the thing about John Carpenter films is that to me. Uh, you watch a movie like The Thing, which holds up even all these years later. Oh, I, I know. I still, I still, I still don't know. I, I have an idea. I don't know who's The Thing until you know they reveal mm-hmm. themselves. And um, this is a movie like that where he this, he really seemed to ingest a lot of those films that we kind of love from the eighties and seventies, uh, those a- action genre movies, and just threw them all out there. I, I think it's a really, really great movie. I. I can't. I mean, I really kind of hope that they actually make a sequel. I, I think that this story isn't done. I mean, I don't know how successful this is going to be at the box office. From what I can tell, The Grinch took over everybody. Uh, but you know, I think that's that's ripe for discovery for a lot of people. Oh yeah, and uh, hopefully, hopefully a reverse engineering discovery. I, I like to think that the thirteen-year-olds that are eating Cheetos and drinking Dr. Pepper of today are going to just kind of look backwards and be like, "Oh, I wonder who he watched to make this movie." Oh, John Carpenter. So I love oh, that kind of uh, thing. And what I also loved is, given that it was practical effects, there was uh, economy of visuals. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't an over-explanation of everything. I didn't have to know how the serum worked. I didn't know, have to know how it was made. We were right. able to see it, and that was that. And, uh, you know, the limitations of that, of, of being able to, of having to build everything versus build, building it out on a computer made it all the creepier because we, you know, we didn't see a million of the decapitated women's heads begging for help in French. Yeah. We just saw the one. And honestly, I think just seeing the one is even creepier than seeing like a full room of them. Right. All kind of chanting together, which could have been very easily put together had it been, had it been uh, maybe a CGI. But, yeah. uh, what was I going to say? But I, I think that because of that, the economy of storytelling prevented it from, from going over into torture porn. Which right. then it if it had it would not have worked. No, I, I'm I'm definitely on uh, not a fan of those kind of films. I think that you have to kind of have your tongue little in the cheek when you're making a movie like this, because I mean if you if you if the audience isn't having fun and it's just being you know tortured, it it's it's no fun to have movies like that. And I think that this movie has a sense of humor about it, uh, especially in the characters of like Wyatt Russell and right. the other guys. 
Uh, and I, you know, once once you go into the, the the church and you go and see all the horror that's down there and the the monsters and everything, I like that it wasn't exactly Nazi zombies. You know, the the, the kind of the kind of um, they're talking about how it's uh, well, it's basically uh, uh, Saving Private Wolfenstein. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, fine. That's that's what I wanted, so that's what I got. And yeah. you know, it delivers that way. That's fine. No, no problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down for more Nazi war movies uh, with uh, monsters. That's fine. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, I've never actually played the Wolfenstein games, but I've had several friends that after they saw the movie, their response was, "Well, that was Wolfenstein." Yeah, I don't, yeah. Fe- I don't feel like I. I don't feel like I'd say it was full on Wolfenstein, but uh, in in terms of in terms of tone, um, I feel like if the film continued on for another hour, it could have gone full Wolfenstein, especially uh, the later, more recent games. I don't yeah. think it should have gone on for a full hour. I think what we got was what we needed. No, I I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think that's interesting. There's a movie from the '80s. Uh, I don't know if y'all seen it, but it really reminded me of this movie called The Keep. Oh, um, I, I I know the keep. I'm pretty yeah, sure I've my, seen it, but I don't remember it. It's it's not a great movie, but it, it's kind of the same premise. It, it, the movie's about a, a Nazi battalion that takes uh, that takes refuge in this old abandoned uh, kind of castle in in the um, I guess in the Carpathian Mountains, you know, the Dracula place area. And uh, there's a uh, monster in you know that's been trapped inside the walls. And when the monster gets out, uh, it Oddly, when you see it, I, I don't know if you you can do, Google the uh, the keep monster, and he kind of looks like Mike Pence. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's 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 not the best movie. But Michael Mann strikes a real interesting tone, and and there are parts that are really scary in it, even though the movie itself doesn't wholly work. But I I think that I mean I'm I'm for sure and Julius Avery saw that movie because oh, there's yeah. a few things in there that that they get to get to that level in Overlord. Yeah, I, I feel like there's like I like I said, uh, this is a film that wears its uh, wears its influences on its sleeves very very proudly. There's so much here that uh, you can tell there was a uh, a direct there's almost a direct lineage from early Sam Raimi to this in terms of like the Gonzo elements of the of the the horror s- side of the story. Um, there's definitely um, a little bit of like Kelly's Heroes and Where Eagles Dare. Uh, there's it's it's definitely a film that. Um, if you are well versed in both pulp cinema and horror and war films, it's it's a much more rewarding experience. Yeah. And, uh, and and like like Meredith said, going back to like the John Carpenter element of it, the um, the the practical effects. Like if if you're one of those people who grew up uh, idolizing the uh, the effects work that was done and stuff like George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and uh, I I loved a lot of Ray Harryhausen as a kid yeah. as well. Yeah. So. And there's there's a lot to truly to truly dig into and appreciate there. Yeah, the the ma- the makeup effects on Waffner alone, on, mm-hmm. On, mm-hmm. When, when he's going full monster, that that was like that's really wet. <laughs> yeah. Not just going full monster, but like healing yeah. back and yeah. then because getting the, the, blown the, off. It's like the, there the, was there was so much oh. there in terms of just layers. Yeah. In terms of okay, here's here's the initial damage, and then uh, there's you know the gnarly practical effects, and then the elements of it like growing and congealing, and him becoming more inhuman, and then getting set on fire mm-hmm. and having to grow. But you'll notice it's like his teeth that shattered never grew back. Yeah. Which was yeah. super creepy, and it was a great effect. So I mean. 
It's also a subtle, like, again, because they didn't have to explain how any of it worked, they wouldn't be like, oh, but it doesn't work on dead things like teeth. We didn't and, have to. We can see yeah, that. There, there's a lot of show don't tell here. And I also love, you know, going back to my, my favorite word of the evening is always tone. Um, the, the scene where, uh, where he, where Boyce injects the serum for the first time and they, just pump round after round after round into the poor guy. And, you know, if you have any familiarity with, like, the typical, like, zombie genre, it's like you know that it's, like, it's a headshot that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that we, uh, that we as the audience know what to expect, but the characters don't, there's some fun to be had in that. And yeah. I, and I, the, I love the tone of, like, we know this is horrific, but there's also sort of this black comedy aspect to it of the just the gruesomeness of what's being displayed. Well, Chase alone when he he snaps his neck back, like the yeah. whole audience that was like, oh, oh, and then when he snapped his neck back and you could see his collarbone sticking up, people mm-hmm. were laughing. And I think that the movie was okay with you laughing. Yeah, because because it, as horrific as it was, it was also ridiculous. Yeah, um, and and that's one of the that's why I love pulp films. But that's like what made this. the thing fun. Yeah. yeah, but the thing no, knew the it was th- ridiculous the, too. But it was just, it was Meredith. What made the thing fun was Brian Dennehy. <laughs> Bri- Brian okay. Dennehy. <laughs> okay, that works. And also character Wilford... actor extraordinary. And Wilford Brian... Brimley. And Will and Wilson and Wilford Brimley and um, God, I always I always go back to uh, and I, the dog. I, okay, I always go back to uh, I always go back to I always go back to Kurt Russell. Because yeah. like Kurt Russell is one of those people that in the eighties, um, he's more important to you than I thought he was. I didn't know he was a thing for you. No, like Kurt Russell is one is one of those characters. Kurt like, Russell's a thing for both of us. Well, I'm thinking. well, here's the here's the thing, and I I don't know if like because because you're younger than me and uh like our parents are completely different, but my dad had this. It wasn't like Kurt Russell was like oh he's my favorite actor, but my dad loved a lot of Kurt Russell movies and by association I ended up watching a lot of those movies and grew to appreciate Kurt Russell. Um is he the dad in Guardians 2? Yes. Yes, yes. That's yes. The only yes. thing I've ever seen with right. him in it. Yeah. So like but I grew up watching The Thing, Big Trouble in Little mm-hmm. China, Tombstone, um which is just the greatest assemblage of mustaches ever. Escape from New York. <laughs> Escape from New York. Um I even have I I won't say it's a good film, but I have even a soft spot for parts of Escape from L.A. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but there, there's a, two really great Kurt Russell performances. If you haven't seen them, you've got to see them. Uh, first is Used Cars. Oh, I love Used Cars. Used that's Cars. Another, that's another one. That was one of my dad's favorites. Yeah, that's crazy good. But you know, the, he did. He played the dad in Sky High, and I really I liked love it. Sky High. Yeah, Sky High's really good, and his performance in that is really sweet and funny. And I, 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 I wanted to see that superhero movie with Kurt Russell. That, that, there's a lot of there's a lot of great Kurt Russell performances and, out there. And the thing about Sky High too is that we have to endorse it because there's a uh, an unspoken agreement on the on this program that uh, we cannot negatively say anything about a film that has Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It's true. It's we've uh it's 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 called the uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane condition. She she is our new Sigourney Weaver. All hail to our new Sigourney Weaver. Awesome. And she's really good in that movie. That mm-hmm. movie's Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like I obviously the remake of the thing was no it it wasn't it doesn't touch from what I heard hair on the original from but what it's, I heard they they made all the practical effects and then as soon as they were finished we're like, "Well, 
we're just going to CGI over it. Yeah, yeah that's... that made no sense to me. Uh, I, I don't know why they did that, because I heard the practical effects were just as good as the original, and the, the original still cannot be topped. Oh, the, or, the original has such a charm to it, and I feel like that's one of the things that whenever we look at Overlord in a couple of years, the thing that's going to make it stand out is the technical prowess that went into making the film. Now, now don't get me wrong, I still can't appreciate CGI. Like, I'm not... I'm not like, oh, it ruins the integrity of film. and it's Because, A, the technology is great, but we're still developing it. And I think that continuing to use it helps with continuing to improve it. Like, look at we were talking about the water in mm-hmm. Incredibles, too. Mm-hmm. That yeah. could not have happened had they not stro- had people not struggled with water for decades right. to rendering it correctly. So I'm not going to be like, because I think that, that well, to never use it means that you never develop it. Never, but it like, all, but- or look at something like Smallfoot that really revolutionized how they do snow and hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to my friend Trisha Bukowski who worked on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so but- I'm not saying that CGI is inherently bad, but I think for something like horror, I think that for right now with what we... With where CGI is and for what they're trying to build with it, I think that for right now, practical effects hit a much more visceral spot. That's And that's, that's what I was going to say is basically it just it enhances what we see on the screen so, so much. because And I'm not even talking even about uh, creature effects here. I mean, in the opening, in the opening where the, uh, the paratroopers are bailing out of the plane, they built, a, they built that plane, put it on a gimbal, and set it on fire. And it looked horrifically claustrophobic in there. Yeah. And it and that did and that did wonders for setting the tone, for setting the mood, and for making me feel like I was there in the action. Now, I, I f- full disclosure, I saw this thing in IMAX, and Ooh. it was it was it was worth it. This is one of those yeah. films that deserves to be seen on the biggest, uh, best, brightest screen that you can possibly find with the best sound system that they can offer. Um, this and it was an immersive experience. Um, yeah. and that's and that's really what I talk about in terms of pra- practical effects. Is I mean, I know this is a horror movie, and we all love. Practical gore, we love practical makeup, but then you know practical stunt work as well. Feeling the uh, the the very real explosive work in a lot of in the, a lot of the scenes. The stuntmen in the bags had mm-hmm. to be rotated out on a regular basis because one of them had to not do it after a while because he's like, "You can shoot me, you can set me on fire, you can throw me off cliffs, but I'm not getting back in that bag." <laughs> the claustrophobia alone. Yeah. Would be t- yeah, I you know the only thing I I the I, I love CGI. I mean, you, you couldn't have Lord of the Rings films without CGI, right? I mean, the, exactly. The movies, you know, and you know, but I the only part of CGI that I feel that they still don't get right is CGI blood. CGI blood doesn't look. It doesn't. Like it. it doesn't have the consistency of just the old caro syrup with food coloring. Yep. It's, yeah. You know, we we've been conditioned to whenever we see blood on film, it it needs to look and feel a certain way, and so whenever there's that. Um, Almost, it, it, it has a sheen to it in CGI that you just don't get from from you know, like if if you use a real world squib, it's gonna look a lot different than you know painting over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you see CGI blood fly, it just looks like it just looks like red water, you know. Yeah. And it, well, blood blood isn't water. It, there's a consistent, like you said, there's a consistency to it. Well, and, and I was there's... I was reading somewhere too that CGI blood and fake blood and pixelated blood can actually uh, lower people's empathy towards people that are really bleeding. That makes sense. I can see that. That makes sense because it, they, they, it's copious amounts, right? Yeah. Probably more than it's actually in the human body. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, 
Well, I mean, it's it's why you 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 do develop a sort of appreciation for uh, practical effects, like right. Well, and, CGI blood doesn't coagulate. There's right. no congealing element to it. Like you don't yeah. see it being sticky on someone's body. You don't yeah. see it matting the hair. It just flies around yeah. or it pools. It and, doesn't. And even whenever practical blood work isn't uh, isn't real world accurate there's still something to be said for the reaction that you get to seeing it on screen like nobody is going to argue that uh the massive amount of arterial spray that you saw in something like kill bill volume one is true to life but it enhanced the scenes in the way that if they had done that via cgi blood it wouldn't have been effective at all and that was i mean and again that was meant to be a highly stylized world anyway so and and this, I believe that Overlord Two was meant to be highly stylized, but it was very much uh, but there was a grounding but it, but it element grounded. to it that you it don't grounded. have with a Kill Bill. No, it was it was meant to be um, it was meant to evoke a visceral reaction, and you have just like almost this, the the best thing that I go back to is um, the disembodied head on the uh, on the the table in the lab that was still speaking. That sort yeah. of like immediate revulsion. Yeah. That uh, you you. If that had just been a CGI head, I don't think it would have worked as well for me. This, for some reason, animatronics and puppetry and practical effects just make you feel it. Um, yeah. And it's there's never any point where you where you're like, oh, uh, like I, I I recognize that this is a puppet. I am very well aware that this is not a real severed talking head. But at the same time, it it, it still is like. <laughs> Sorry. What what was that? What yeah. About, what about, no, just like with the like alien the movies. Because it's like a puppet, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. No, the the puppet, the alien puppet, and John uh, John Hurt in the original Alien movie, and yeah. of course yeah. when he repeats the scene again in um, in Spaceballs. Spaceballs. <laughs> well, uh, one of my favorite that's movies. A, that's of a good. All time. Ex- that's a good example too. Is um, you know, I, I love the I love the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the primary complaints that I have with Alien Covenant, because I enjoyed the movie uh, for the most part, is that I, I just can't get behind the CGI xenomorphs. I can't. They the, the, Their movement, to me, doesn't feel as... Uh, it, it, there's sort of a encroaching terror in seeing a physical moving creature coming towards you. And Think about the shark in Jaws. Yeah. And the fact yeah, that it no, was... And a if, lot of people give the shark in Jaws uh, uh, a lot of flack, but I I love that shark. Well, I, and here's the and here's the thing. Uh, a few years back, Tori and I we went to they showed uh, Jaws in IMAX at the at the Houston Museum of Natural Science, and we went to a screening, and there were people there that we, you could tell it was parents who were bringing their kids to see Jaws for the first time. And at the very very end, in the in the climax of the film, when the, when Bruce jumps up and starts chopping down on uh, on Robert Shaw, one of the kids in the audience who's clearly never seen the movie before is just shouting oh my god <laughs> so you like it's it's an immersive experience and it works it doesn't matter that it's not 100 percent photorealistic it's that it's that feeling that it's actually there well, that and matters jake and tori i told you guys this story i haven't told alan it yet but when i left the movie theater the the people behind me as we were walking out they were talking to each other and one of them said to the other do you think that something like that really happened? <laughs> and the other one was like, well, the Nazis did, you know, conduct a lot of horrific science experiments on people. And, and side note, if you want more historical detail on the Nazi science experiences, uh, definitely read Steve Silberman's Neurotribes, which talked about how they they have uh, 
they have basically set back autism research because they spent so much time torturing and uh, experimenting on uh, kids that had autism and Asperger's. But wow. anyway, yeah, no, it's it's very graphic stuff. So massive content warning. But uh, you know, they were talking and they were like, well, you know, they did do these these tortures, but I don't think it went that far. But it wouldn't surprise me if they made an honest effort. Yeah. And yeah. we know that they only got as far as summoning the Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> Most well, anticipated you know, movie of uh, 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. You're just I, saying that because your boyfriend's in it. <laughs> it. I know he is. He is. He's Hellboy. I mean, I, I I got no problem with the movie like Overlord just making Nazis to be the utter villains these days. I think that you know maybe subtlety may have had its day. I mean we can get back to subtlety at some point again, but for now I I got no problem with just splashing Nazi gore all no, I, over. I feel like this was a movie that we needed in this moment. The, uh, um, well, just like Gritty says, the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. <laughs> I did, yeah. I but I. I will always listen to Gritty, oh. mostly because he never blinks and he's uh. just orange fuzz. Oh man, I, I I don't think that Orbit would be happy that you were cheating on him with another mascot. I know, um, I know. I'm sorry, Orbit. I'm just Polly Moscow mascot amorous. <laughs> oh lord. Anyway, <laughs> I can't like Gritty. He looks too much like my former writing boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know exactly who you're talking about. I don't could... ruin it for me. No, don't. <laughs> don't ruin Gritty for me now. No, oh, man. Ah. now I'm gonna have nightmares. Anyway, um... well, we wish we wish we were your boss, Alan. <laughs> we would be nice bosses, which would mean nothing would get done. <laughs> exactly. We are uh, almost completely out of time, so oh, I want to no. go, go ahead and uh, try to wrap things up. Um, Alan, this is usually the part of the show where we uh, try to let our guests, let everyone know where they can find them online. If you have anything to promote, anything that you want to get out there into the public sphere, please uh, let our listeners know. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I wanted to, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alan Cerny, C-S, A-L-A-N-C-E-R-N-Y-C-S, and you can find my reviews on comingsoon.net. You can listen to our weekly podcast uh, Matinee Heroes and Meredith has been a guest on there twice now and we're going to have her back on again uh, for an, another movie I'm sure we'll figure out which one uh, I'm also a member of the Houston Film Critics Society and on January it's Thursday after January 1st I think it's January 3rd uh, we're going to have our Film Critics Society award show at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts it's Ooh. free so uh, you know you get to watch us uh, talk about our favorite films of the year and give best awards to uh the you know actor actress best film of the year we have a award called the TIFA T I F A the Texas Independent Film Award film is shot in uh, oh very at cool least, at least seventy five percent shot in Texas which is harder than you think now that nowadays since Texas doesn't have tax breaks for right film shooters anymore oh I I could do an entire episode about why we need film tax breaks for Houston especially because we could we totally have the talent here to be the next Atlanta. We also yep. we also need uh, some major films that are uh, shot here so that we don't have to just go keep going back to RoboCop two. We got Logan's Run. <laughs> yeah, we got we got Rushmore, and yeah, yeah. You know, I was were, in Rushmore. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I was a, I was an extra in the uh, the assembly scene where where Bill Murray is giving his uh, his big address at the beginning of the film. I was in that. You're immortal, dude. Yeah, immortal. I I have I have one degree separation from uh from Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman, so I've got that on Good my job. on my CV. Are you are you on IMDb? I'm not. 
You're not on the IMDBA? I'm not on IMDBA. I actually think I probably could be because I cried on that one uh, Canadian, yeah, children's Canadian Children's Show. Yeah, That's right. That's your claim to fame. <laughs> I wonder if I can put that on my resume. I'm pretty sure that you can. But... Awesome. But yeah, that, that that sounds amazing. I'm definitely gonna have to. Uh, I'm definitely have to come down for that one. That sounds, that sounds freaking that's, awesome. That's during our Aquaman episode, so I don't think that. <laughs> well, we'll just... I don't think the world will miss out on, on us talking about Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm legitimately looking forward to Aquaman for reasons. Me, me I, I am too. I, I think it looks wonderful. Actually. It looks. I, it looks. It looks the kind of bonkers that I'm just. I am just down with on every level. And and I have to take Tori to see her uh, yearly Jason Momoa film. Speaking of bonkers, Detective Pikachu oh. looks like a yeah, it looks like a fever dream, and I'm all about looking like a fever dream. We're already starting to get excited about 2019. Uh, I- I can't believe that Detective Pikachu came out the same day as a trailer for Toy Story 4, and nobody's talking about the Toy Story 4 trailer. They're all talking about that movie's going to make a billion dollars. Yeah, I, I'm, and that's another one we're probably going to end up covering. We're, we're starting to get... We'll probably have actual children on the show that day, too. It's, <laughs> if by actual children you mean my wife, then yes. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to say. She's laughing, so it's... Oh, okay. As long as you're okay not with it. She's actually a child. No, yeah. she's, she is not actually a child bride. Um, like, she's just, a... She just grew up with Disney films and still loves them more than anybody that I know, so she's like my go-to expert. Yeah. So awesome. we are definitely looking forward to 2019. Uh, Hellboy! Yeah. So, thank you uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Alan. Yes, this thank was, you, uh, Alan. This was an amazing episode. I had a whole lot of fun talking about this one with uh, somebody who enjoyed it just as much as I did. Anytime, and I'll happily come down to the station. I couldn't make it today because I had a little car trouble, but I, I want to get down there and, and talk movies with y'all. It's well, a lot it of fun. Oh, God, it yes. Happens. We'll, we'll be giving you a list of what we're going to be doing pretty soon so you guys can check it out. It'd be awesome to have you and Craig on together at some point, too. Crossover oh, episode. Yeah, we can fly him in. He'll be coming in. That'll be great. Nice. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank everybody again for listening. Um, if you want to find the show, we are on the Twitter at uh, at PopSchlockPod. Um, we are on Instagram. It's uh, at PopAndSchlockLive. And you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher. Uh, you can find us just about anywhere where, where you get you your podcast. Where you can't find us is next week because it's Thanksgiving and we we are not airing an episode. But we might have a very special iTunes exclusive episode. I'm still trying to lock that down. You're just going to have to check and see. Um, just boot up your uh, boot up your podcast app sometime on Black Friday and check to see what we've got available for you. I don't think we should post it unless somebody leaves us a review. Yeah, somebody out there, <laughs> leave us a nice rating and review so that uh, we know that what we're doing is worth everybody's That's time. That's the thing. We just want feedback. We want to know what, what people want. Yeah, tell just tell us what. Tell well, us how you I, d- feel. I did get feedback that we need to have more Tori, which I will never argue with ever. Yeah, so she, we will have more of my wife coming in 2019. <laughs> well, but- and I guess with I guess with the Hellboy movie coming out, since Hellboy is my actual boyfriend, uh, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what we're going to end with. Again, everybody, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Alan.